When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My other podcast, Bunny, I was speaking with Bob the Drag Queen, and he went off on a whole thing about how great your music is. He's like, people don't know, Lady Bunny actually has good music. And I want to say, he literally said, actually has. Like, he was surprised by that. <laughs> well, that's very sweet of him. Uh, he actually liked an old song of mine called Lately. Lately, but, uh, yeah. We're going to do a music episode and talk music, and I'd like to have Juju be on because she's got new music. We, the other LGBT artists and whatnot. But yeah, yeah you know, the, the funny thing about this podcast, obviously you have a well-known podcast with Bob the Drag Queen. Uh-huh. Sibling Rivalry. See. And uh, I noticed some of the comments were like, uh, Monet and Bunny is such a random combination. I'm like, why? Because I'm white? Because I'm old? Because what? Because, you know, it's like, I thought that was so weird. But, you know, you can't get bogged down with what everyone no, says I on the internet. Because I've seen some outrageous, blatantly false news on the internet in, like, mean comments. Some have even gone so far as to suggest that I'm old, fat, and a whore. <laughs> <Bunny>. <laughs> I, you know how ridiculous those claims are. <laughs> yeah, you're not a whore. Who, nobody wants to fuck that. Anyway. Uh, oh, <laughs> true. Bun Buns, how are you doing, my little sugar plum fairy pussy? I'm good, baby. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm finally done with that Macbeth. Oh, my God. I feel like every time I talk to you, I remember how many podcasts I have going on. To be fair, the the Shakespeare one is not my podcast. I was booked um, like through SAG to do it. Um, but yeah, I we finally wrapped on that and they finally got all of the equipment. I am a little upset though because now that we are doing these things where people are sending like equipment and stuff to your house, you kind of like modify your home for these recordings. They sent me these heavy sheets and like I didn't have a way to like put it up, so they sent me these like strips with hooks to put them to the wall. I put them on the wall and I hung the the curtains up every time we did the recording. Now when it came time to take the fucking um, hooks off my wall, it ripped off chunks of my goddamn paint. And I am so upset. I'm like, are y'all motherfuckers going to send me money to fix that? 
Well, I was upset by some sheets, too. The KKK sent me some. I said, not in Black History Month. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but we, you know, Monet, we are not uh, shameless self-promoters. I don't even think you've even told us where to go and listen to Macbeth. I'd like to hear it. Oh, well, it's not coming out. I don't think it's coming out until. Oh, good. Okay. I was teasing anyway. No. no, I mean, I mean, we never, we never talk about like, oh, see us on Instagram or plug ourselves or, or oh, yeah. merch or, or any of it. We we do have that, but we're trying to be. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to be a little uh, um, not those girls. But listen, we are those girls. I never thought some people may be listening to this and they just stumble upon it. They have no idea who or what we are. Um, we are two drag queens. Bunny is from an. Um, a generation gone by and I am from <laughs> the current generation and um, and we are on Instagram uh, yours is official lady bunny on Instagram official underscore lady uh, underscore bunny don't ask me why <laughs> and I'm on exchange and um, we're also on Twitter on, but on Twitter you're lady bunny 77 yes at lady bunny 77 and Twitter's politics and Instagram is silly stuff and the 77 corresponds to your age, right? <laughs> to my waist. <laughs> <laughs> and if, your IQ. What in the Eureka O'Hara 77 waist? Get it, girl. <laughs> so you did your Macbeth thing, and I got a job today, too. Oh, uh, DJing, I'm going to go over to the Monster and pre-record a DJ set, which is not ideal, but it's for a party of seven people, and they'll play the, they requested the kind of music that they like. And I will uh, DJ at the Monster with no one there, and then <laughs> basically have they'll play the video. Now, before we get into like the the, um, the headlines of the day, I do have a really quick question. How did you stumble into DJing? Did you were you just like I'm gonna pick up a computer and learn how to DJ, or someone talked to the computer? A computer, darling. This was gramophones. Uh, this 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 was. This was vinyl. I used to, long after everyone had switched to CDs in like the 2000s or late 90s, honey, I was still, one night I got off work drunk and was lugging two big record crates <laughs> in Dag. the snow with uh, with open-toed shoes. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to switch to CDs. And then I finally switched to USB. But I don't play on a laptop now. I, don't, I, I would never, ever put my... Uh, computer in a place where someone can come with a drink and go oh hey girl, girl. let's get a selfie and dump their drink into your life no <laughs> i would never do that but this this is safe and you know people like i say we're often talking on the show as we get through coronavirus you know together thank you all for joining us on that journey and trying to make sense of this you know we're talking about how we reintegrate through the workforce what different people feel comfortable doing yeah. and not because it is you know yeah, Different. yeah, but so so you, just one one night at the club, you were like, "I'm gonna DJ," and you just started. Oh breathing. no, oh, no! What happened is so the 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 there was house music in the late '80s and um, '90s, and then from there, as I started working bigger clubs like Limelight mm -hmm. and Tunnel, the Junior Vasquez sound took over. The music was so hard and so techno that I would get booked in the auxiliary rooms to play. Whatever, R&B of the day, old disco music, mm -hmm. you know, more melodic house. So I've always had a, you know, like a musical 
side and and i i you know they say you like the hard music uh if depending on what drugs you're on and i was on plenty of drugs and i never liked the hard hard you know you know the kind the kind without a baseline no bunny i have never done any the only drugs i've ever done is weed i've never done cocaine i've i've I've, of course working in nightlife and all those things i've been asked many times but i have never delved into narcotics recently last year when i was talking about music I'll talk about music being hard. Oh. Okay, go ahead. Go off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, I've never done any hard drugs. Recently, uh, when I was uh, last year, I was away with some girls and someone in a club offered me ketamine, and which if, I, I think is the horse tranquilizer drug, I think. They offered me that, and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to like try something. And I was like, but I want literally the tiniest, tiniest. And I want to tell you, it was literally a speck of something on the end of a keychain of, of a key. I took it up my nose, but I guess I didn't take enough because I did not feel any, anything. Like after like two hours, I was like, girl, did I, did it happen? Did I, did I like do the thing? Like what's supposed to happen? Am I supposed to be excited? Is, am I like, what's, what? And I was like, girl, you didn't do, you didn't, you barely took anything. You're not going to feel anything. I was like, well, bitch, why you made me take anything at all? If this was a waste of my goddamn time. I was very well, upset. The first time I tried it was with RuPaul uh, in the daytime and we walked over to the pier on it and you know Rue may say you'd better work and work serve the runway and all this shit but I'm going to tell you who was not having us queens from downtown that was the ballroom children that hung out on the pier that were voguing and whatnot. and so at that time we would use the word bitch as a greeting like oh hi bitch Uh you know just to be silly and so we, we walked by some of them and said hi bitch and they ran over to us, and we were reeling from that special K. And I remember one of them, we all ran. One of them said, I'll stab you by the fucking dog. <laughs> we, we were and, and so I was like, this. But this, enough this. about Rue. <laughs> I, I said, don't you stab Rue. She's not looking that hot today, but don't you stab that bitch. She has a bright future. <laughs> well, it appeared that she did at that point. <laughs> so wait, so ketamine during the day. So is, is ketamine an upper? Like, did you, like, do you guys? No, it's a tranquilizer. It's a horse tranquilizer and they get it you know i guess from veterinarians or when they go to mexico or whatever and listen it's very disorienting and that actually that's why i was talking about the music was so hard that you needed something to get socked into you alcohol ecstasy cocaine the the drugs that i liked were um uh happy happier music so we we danced to black box and piano driven music with gospel vocals of martha wash and jocelyn brown we didn't we didn't i never loved the 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 techno got it so that's how i got started djing and the rest is hersery yes and with that i think it's time for the headlines of the day The Gorilla Glue Girl wig helmet thing. Okay, I first stumbled upon her video, like her actual video on my TikTok. And when I first saw it, I was like, she was explaining what she did, how she sprayed to lay her hair down. She took this, um, she normally uses got to be glued, which, Bunny, have you seen girls gluing their wigs with got to be glued? I don't even understand how that's a thing. Like, and how does your wig, like Gigi Good does it, Plastic Tiara does it. They glue their wigs down with hairspray. And it, it, it I am so perplexed by it. I don't understand how that even is even as a thing i'm gonna just tell you a little hint right here uh-huh. if you're using hairspray to put on your lace front you're not a dancer 
<laughs> well, your yeah, wig is not very heavy. <laughs> true. I mean, I mean, I've seen plastic with her Which hair Which you know all impressive. about. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw her doing this. So she used it got to be glued to slick her hair down. How 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 women do oftentimes. Um, if you if 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 you're a black woman, black women normally use like jam or something like that. Anyway. But I guess in her rush or whatever it was, she used Gorilla Glue. Now, queens use Gorilla Glue. I use Gorilla Glue to glue my earrings on, to glue my nails on, because it's super, super strong. Gorilla Glue is a very strong adhesive. And it's like must- crazy glue or nail yes. glue. Yeah, it's like crazy glue and nail glue. And she glued her entire hair down with that. And I was like, this is... Uh, this is not real. This is just for TikTok for people to make like a viral thing. So people get, and it was, it had like millions of views on it. I'm like, so it obviously worked. Come to find out it's real. She really did this and she went, she had to go to a hospital for them to put, um, and they ended up using acetone on her hair. They're like leaving it soaking on her hair to to loosen up the gunk so that um it could it could uh go away. But she she allegedly Wait, she does, had a does down acetone for loosen days. up gunk because I'd like some for my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, acetone. I mean, if you ask me, they should use Gorilla Glue because she. I saw a video and she looks like she is in physical pain from them pouring this acetone and leaving it on her head. And acetone is a very strong. That's what they use to take off like acrylic nails and stuff. Acetone is a very strong. Uh, yeah, what but is that's it that's nail. You're taking off nail glue. That's the principle. You use yep. acetone to take off nail glue or Gorilla Glue as used on your wig. So if you've already got Gorilla Glue on your head, why are you gonna worry about the acetone? Yeah, I mean, but I, they should use Goo Gone. Goo Gone is more effective. And they actually, a woman on TikTok, she took a piece of weaving hair and she, like, lacquered it up with the Gorilla Glue. It was stiff like the woman's head. And then she dipped one of them in acetone, one in Goo Gone. And the Goo Gone, within an hour, the solution was, like, alleviating. And the acetone was still stiff as fuck. So I feel like... Well, maybe, maybe this is all an ad for Goo Gone that we're going to find out about. Could you imagine? And in 2021, the fact that I think that that could be a reality is so fucked up. Well, I was this this story went everywhere from the New York Times to uh-huh. CNN to, you know, at first being viral video. So the, in the video, the girl just complaining about the hair looks beautiful, by the way. So it does. You know, it could be an ad. For, um, but. The thing is, there's some people are are derisive of her and criticizing her, and many more are are sympathizing with her. So look, people make mistakes, right? I mean, people make silly mistakes and dumb mistakes. I think it was a dumb mistake, and I know because I've done it. And one night when I got four the performances in December for a Christmas show at a club called XL, I had put... um, uh, you know, all of my makeup on, lashes and everything. Uh-huh. And I said, oh shit, I'm late. Oh, my eyes are red. Let me put a little Visine in it. It was oh, crazy glue. Shut the fuck up, baby. No, it, 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 several drops in each oh, and I reeled. I had to rip off my matted lashes and my real lashes. Um, uh, in the process, my eyes were practically bleeding. And you know what I did? Oh. I put on sunglasses and I gave them the show of their life. Because are you, you know, fucking kidding me, Bunny? I had no choice. Yes, you did have a choice to go. You had a choice to go to the fucking hospital. Well, I didn't need to. It turns out, and this was the first of four gigs. And you know, at that point. I wasn't really um, doing. I mean, you have to build up relationships with clubs. And so this particular like promoter had not really, 
that this this promoter uh, who actually died uh, uh, last year, Beto, who did XL and uh, the original XL, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I, I wanted to prove myself. You know, I didn't oh, want to be flaky. My God. But I can't even imagine how excruciating that is to put fucking crazy glue in your eyeballs. Your oh. eyes. And, and that's probably why you got on fucking glasses now, bitch, because you didn't go to the hospital. Well, I think my parents also wear reading glasses by, but when, when they were my age. So I don't think that's quite true. But uh, so people do make silly mistakes. And so I can sympathize with her. Oh Here's what I hate about this. Mm-hmm. She's a lovely girl, and uh, she has nice hair. I don't know if that ponytail is her hair, but no, I no, mean, no. I it, it, it looks it looks very sleek, and it looks very you know uh, nice. I mean, uh, it's really I I I don't understand why she's like every all the newspaper articles are saying. Oh, she's she's viral. She's um. Uh, you know, she gained 500 more or 5,000, actually 230,000, I think it was, YouTube subscribers. And she's only put up two videos. And she's got all these Instagram followers because people think that they want to follow her on her journey. Well, you know what? It's a misfortune. And if people are, quote, feeling it, whatever. But I think this is an awful way to get attention. It's a tragedy. Her hair, you know, may be ruined and and it's like a train wreck kind of thing. And then she put out another video, um, which makes me feel less sympathetic to her, um, where her sister is is trying to get it out. And she's sitting in a chair and then she's like wincing in pain and... She puts a towel over her face because she, I guess, doesn't want people to see that she's wincing in pain. Well, then why have the camera on? You did something dumb and now you're trying to parlay it into a career. I just think that that's, um, you know, it's like a it's it's to me, it's playing to the to the worst of the Internet. Yeah, I I mean, I mean, this is the time we are we are in, though. People see these moments and it's like I don't necessarily shame it i'm like it's like taking your misfortune and monetizing your 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 misfortune i'm like something really bad happened to you you can monetize it and make a career for you who knows this may be the beginning (laughs) to a big career of her as a hair spokesperson or wig ambassador or something like who knows and i'm like especially in this climate and in this fucking economy where people are begging the government to send them their fucking checks for fourteen hundred dollars whatever you need to do to get your bag i'm all about it well, whatever we need to do. I mean, the the the, the for thing you, is, it, it, yeah. The the thing. So I have a friend who did Kim Kardashian's hair, mm-hmm. and because she has so many followers, he posted a picture of her, and suddenly he had thousands of more uh, followers the next day. Mm-hmm. Do you think they care about him? No, they care about Kim. Do you think that they care about this girl beyond this sad incident? No, they don't. I think that I th- I don't think that's true. I think people are genuinely invested in her in her in her journey and this thing with her hair. And from there, she's gonna put out more videos and more content, and then they get to learn her personality and who she is, and then fall in love with her that way. That's like when so people you, go on so Drag Race. Wanna... When when, when, wanna... when when people go on Drag Race, they don't necessarily love the queens yet, but they're invested in in the show and who they are. And from there, they grow to love Bob. They grow to love Bianca. They grow to love Monet. You know what I'm saying? So I I, I kind of I do think know it's what same you're thing. saying. I would rather have people grow to love me because of what I want to put out there as a 
gift of gab, a talent, a, a, you know, making music, not a misfortune. That's that's craven. I mean, to her, it's not. She's like, yeah, bitch, I'm I'm monetizing my my struggles. Okay, well, you know, listen, maybe other people put glue on their <laughs> hair and <laughs> Bunny, to. if you would have recorded those fucking crazy glue droplets going into your eyes, you may be a billionaire right now. Who's Honey, to say? I, I, I am crazy enough without, you know, s- s- you know, s- saying, oh, my God, I did this. I mean, like I say, it's a misfortune. Yeah. I, you know, like, you're saying capitalize on anything, and I'm saying it's better not to capitalize on a misfortune it's better to capitalize on your talents but if all you have is a misfortune there you go we are now ready to introduce our special guest for the interview this week on ebony and irony we have dr darian sutton MD and MBA. You may have seen him on The View Mm -hmm. uh, talking about COVID. He is a medical correspondent for ABC. Is that right, Dr. Darren? Yes, I'm a medical contributor for ABC. Maybe a correspondent one day. Let's hope. And your work has appeared in GQ. You give very informative Instagram videos that I watched last night about new health developments in this stressful time so what is your instagram because we like to plug oh sure uh dr dot darian d-o-c-t-o-r dot darian now i know dr darian from new york city dr darian um is great one of the most supportive people who's ever been because you know bunny you know when you are at a show and there are people who are texting on their phones or they're barely engaged in the show. Dr. Darren is actually a fan of drag and he likes drag and he was really supportive and I always remember that and uh, obviously, and if any, if, if you go on his Instagram, it is no secret that Dr. Darren is a very beautiful and attractive and a very gentle and kind on the eyes. So obviously <laughs> Thank uh, you. drones of men would, ado- would, 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 would have their eyes <laughs> targeted on Dr. Darian Hunter. Well, that's so different from that other Darian I follow on Instagram. <laughs> oh, leave Miss Lake alone. Leave Miss oh, Lake I thought, alone. It, I thought it was Darian Ocean. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i stole that joke from courtney acted a roast years ago so i like to be a, to credit my people we, we first of all want to thank you so yes. much because anyone who works in an emergency room in these trying times with the pandemic of the numbers up and down is subject to so much stress and we do appreciate your time so much but we really wanted to take some of it because there are so many different sources of in- information about covid the masks the vaccines you know there's there's conspiracy rabbit holes that people go into and we would love to speak to some Someone medical who can kind of walk us through new developments. Well, thank you. It is an honor, especially having both of you use your platform to provide information like this to people and make it accessible. I really appreciate being involved. To (laughs) quote um, the the illicit um, Sean Toos, Cardi B, I think we should start from the top and make a drop. Um, (laughs) Let's start with masks, Dr. Darren. Now, we all know 
I mean, as someone who has been watching the news and CNN and New York One and all that stuff, the the thing about masks has gone back. First, they said N95 masks were good. Then, like a month, after, two months after that, they're like, no, they're bad. Do not wear those. And now they're saying double masking. What is the tea on masks, and where do we stand now from a professional? Yeah, well, great point. I think that it can be confusing, especially if you look back a year ago when we first started having discussions about wearing masks. The the um, the suggestions and recommendations kind of change through time. And that's natural because, of course, this is a brand new virus. None of us have ever seen it. And so we're learning as we're moving along. Mm -hmm. The initial goal was to basically put masks on in high-risk situations. That was for us healthcare providers. And initially they said, we don't need masks outside the hospital because there was no foreseeable threat. Mm -hmm. But that was before we realized how transmissible this virus was, especially in patients who are asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic. And then the recommendations followed stating we should wear a mask because we realize that it helps limit the spread of COVID-19. Um, if people could understand where recommendations started at, we were comparing COVID-19 to other forms of coronavirus. And the one that we remember most notably is the SARS virus that happened uh, during the initial outbreak of 2003. Many people may not remember that outbreak because it was relatively self-limited, but the important part about that outbreak and how it's different from this pandemic is that when people were infected with SARS, mm -hmm. they were most often symptomatic. And it was very obvious. Above 90% of people who had SARS had a fever, for example. So it was easy to identify who had SARS and basically isolate and protect others from it. As we know with COVID-19 and the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19, it is a very different type of virus. Uh, it is the same family of viruses, coronavirus, but it acts in a very, very deceptive way. And it is able to transfer from person to person very, very easily without any obvious signs most of the time. So that's when we came out with the recommendations that everyone should be wearing masks because we realized that it was a respiratory virus and that wearing masks helped prevent that. Mm -hmm. And then we step into now, which is now we're dealing with not just the initial, um, we, what we call the initial SARS-CoV-2 virus, but also these new variants or mutations that are looking to be more transmissible from person to person. And so we took a virus that's already really transmissible and we're seeing mutations that might make it more transmissible. And so that's where the recommendations for high risk situations like indoor gatherings, uh, even going to the supermarket to wear two layered masks Got and making it. sure that your mask has two different layers because we know that the more layers that your mask has, the less likelihood of you transferring this virus or your respiratory droplets to others. Got it. Okay. That's, those are all, you know, that's great information. I am both a uh, bit of a hypochondriac with a nurse mother. And it, you know, I also live alone, unlike you, Dr. Darian. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, it is easy to go down the conspiracy theory, you know, rabbit holes. And, you know, so Dr. Fauci did come out, as you suggested, that, say that masks weren't necessary at first. Now, if that was for the healthcare workers who needed them, then great. But you see, anytime there's a, a chink in your armor where it's perceived that you're not telling the truth, that's where people can start the conspiracy theories. Yeah. And you see, as someone who got to New York in 1984, the New York native had Dr. Fauci on the cover acting like he was the devil every other week for not approving AIDS medicines. And now was that born of hysteria or not? I don't know, but I, so I, this is not my first tango with, you know, Dr. Fauci. And, and also I think it's good to have a, a, a 
don't believe everything that you're sold. But I did go down a, a rabbit hole and I was asking everyone about information and someone referred me to Dr. Is it Bob Arno, who was on um, Metro Focus on Channel 13. And he did like a 20 minute thing about masks. And he said that the, the, the disposable mask that I wear and that everyone else, they actually did very little good. And that the N95 masks were the, the primo ones for the uh, healthcare workers because it sealed off the sides. If you're breathing and the, the, the air is coming out, then that's the air with the, the, the coronavirus. But obviously you don't want to breathe. So I, I just, I thought, I, or, I tried to order a bunch of them. I tried to get them from 3M, the N95 kind, because the KN95 is like the Chinese-approved version. And and so all these places are like, there's some of them that are counterfeit N95, and, you know, a lot of places were sold out. So I have to admit, I was totally freaking out. But what this Dr. Arnaud said, maybe you have some insight, is that if two people in a room wearing the N95 there is like a 5% chance only that they will get infected with someone else in the room. Is that what enables healthcare workers to go to work with those masks on? Yeah, to be honest with you, if if it was a if it was possible to have every single person in the United States equipped with an N95 mask and then another for when they needed to 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 dispose of that mask and get a new one, I think we would get uh, this pandemic under control a lot faster. However, we have many people who don't believe in masks at all. And so unfortunately, we would have to battle that concept. But yes, it is true. N95 masks are the optimum level of protection. Um, N95 masks help, help protect me every single day I meet a patient actively infected and symptomatic with COVID-19 and, and has helped keep me uh, negative every time I get tested for COVID-19. N95 masks have saved my life. And mm -hmm. so the answer, the short answer is yes. I think if everyone were able to have an N95 mask, it would be phenomenal. But unfortunately, and this is where uh, I, I think in terms of planning for a pandemic and preparing for a pandemic, uh, the ball has been fumbled. Their N95 mask availability is slim to none. It doesn't, it is very hard to get N95 masks. Even as a physician, like grabbing an extra to bring home is not a possible thing for me. Um, so I, so with that being said, we have to reserve N95 masks for frontline workers in order to be able to have people to treat those patients who are sick with COVID-19. Now, when we look at other forms of protection, the basic level is that surgical mask, which is, yes, relatively, comparatively to the N95, is not going to protect you nearly as much. But if everyone were to wear a surgical mask, the main goal of the surgical mask is to stop your respiratory droplets from going into the air. Mm -hmm. And although the, the air is escaping out of the sides and it's still possible, it decreases the rate slim to none. Now, people will talk about uh, the mask not being effective, but we can look to examples. Um, for example, comparing states where COVID-19 uh, mass uh, rules were in place and states where they were not. We saw exponential increases in the rates of transmission of COVID-19 and hospitalization. And even on a micro level, if you look at cases that were reported by the CDC, for example, two hairdressers in the Southeast um, basically were symptomatic and infected with COVID-19 and 
helped 50 of their clients do their hair that day and over a period of time, I think it was like a week, and not, there was not one level of transmission because that mass was stopping that person's respiratory droplets from going into the air and infecting other people. So I, I think- How did their hair look? How did their <laughs> hair look? That's, that's Honestly, all I care was, about. It was all right. It was all right. <laughs> you know what? They should have tried using Gorilla Glue to get it, to get it together, girl. Oh my gosh. Why has that not been the topic of discussion in my emergency medicine office? Okay, what now, are we okay I have do? a question. When you saw that, Dr. Darian, yeah. I was, it, is that not crazy to you? Someone put it's a Gorilla crazy. Glue on their head that I feel like they would need surgery like it I feel like you have stopped your pores I feel like it's just nuts you would have to, uh, you know, there's a lot of theories going around using acetone is often helpful to break the bonds, oh, but okay. usually that's for, you know, in place for industrial reasons. Putting acetone over your head is quite painful, yeah, but it's I not, it wouldn't be the first time I've seen um, hair, uh, home hair um, attempts go wrong. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, had... do, you get, do you get that in the, in the ER a lot, yeah. people doing yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, I get, you know, uh, oftentimes I get patients who don't um, mess with chemicals a lot. And for example, I had a patient who had curly hair and he was trying to straighten it. Uh -huh. And he didn't realize that the chemical process of straightening should involve like a chemical relaxant, but also a stabilizer. And, it, and, and he just basically went straight from A to Z and oh. came in with third degree burns and he oh had to be transferred God. to a burn unit. So. Using chemicals in any way at home can be dangerous. <laughs> well, you know, as a kid, I used to use escrow on my head. I used to try to escrow my hair so I can get my, my hair looking like real, like soft and curly and stuff. Bad decision. I used to have burns on my head all the time. Not 30 years, <laughs> thank God. Well, I would want to keep on with the masks a little bit because of I am a high risk person in a couple categories, you know. Um, and so, I mean, I wish the government could give out the best mask. We can get a put a man on the moon why yep. can't we get those good masks you know to everybody and as you say really you know stem the spreads so but but if we assuming that we get the masks that we get and and that the disposable ones are, are fine so and better so are they reusable what can, can yeah. they be someone said you can spray alcohol and water on the n95 because they're not cheap i just bought four hundred dollars you know worth and you know the k so, so some people say that wears out the fabric mm -hmm. you know i'm a little obsessed with it i mean to be honest with you some i went to record something and the engineer in the studio said why didn't you pinch the nose thing on your on your mask so i mean i'm also crazy so yeah. you know I, I just think that there's to do but i didn't know that until he said that and what about like taking them off and and yeah. and with your you know like going out to the shops you know i don't go out much but i'll go to the grocery mm -hmm. whatever bank and then i come home you take the, the mask off. Do you sit it there and let it sit for a few days, no matter what kind it is, so that you can reuse it? Or have you put your germs from the subway, whatever, all over that mask? Because yeah. I think I see people like pulling them down to put under their chin to take a phone call. You know, to uh, well, that's put it, the craziest their nose thing. I'm like, you don't. You can hear fine. The person on the yeah. call can hear you with the fucking mask on. People taking their masks on to talk is so stupid. It make any you know, sense. and I think that also we sometimes have to take a step back and do like a basic level understanding of how to put on and take off a mask because you brought up such an important point. 
I am constantly looking at other people who are number one, for example, using gloves outside and never taking them off, but touching their phone and touching their face and touching their hair. And at the end of the day, I'm like, well, what is the point of the glove then if you're doing all of that? Um, because I think sometimes people who wear gloves forget that they're wearing gloves and it decreases their chances that they're actually going to wash their hands. So yeah. I have a lot of personal opinions about things like wearing gloves. I think that they should be, they could be worn if you need them, but for a temporary moment in time, to be taken off. Mm. I am so averse and used to wearing gloves that when I'm wearing gloves, the, uh, the idea of touching myself in any way is disgusting. Because I'm usually wearing gloves for a, a moment with a patient that involves blood and bodily fluids. And yeah. so for me, gloves give me an averse reaction, so I do not like wearing gloves. But as far as wearing masks, it's important to do a couple of things, and I always recommend, for example, before you're touching a mask to your face, washing your hands. We know that COVID-19 is eradicated or decreased substantially with certain soap and water, number one, if your hands are dirty. And if, you don't, if, if your hands are not dirty and you just want to quickly sterilize them using something that has at least 60% isopropyl alcohol, these are chemicals that we know kill this virus and are helpful in protecting us from getting COVID-19. And it's the same thing that we use in the hospital. And then when you're wearing your mask, decreasing the amount of times that you take your mask off, I find that patients who pull it below their face don't realize that the mask has been protecting your nose and your mouth this whole time, where God knows what has been spraying on your forehead, your chin, and your neck. And so when you pull a mask down, you're now exposing the safe inside part of that mask to everything that's been exposed to the environment. So you're kind of eliminating the point of the mask when you're doing that. And also, people who just pull their mask down below their <laughs> nose, for example, um, what we know is that this virus replicates really well inside the nose. And it's the reason why uh, anosmia, or lack of smell, has been so strongly associated with it. And so I always want to remind people of those basic rules when wearing a mask. Now, you made some other points about how to what to do with the mask when you take it off. I think personally, simply hanging it up in a window um, because UV light is helpful at defeating this virus mm, is a tip. helpful way okay. to keep this mask sterile. Um, I think that yes, the idea of spraying it with alcohol is an idea, but yes, that does break down certain um, materials inside of a mask so it can make it less effective. I just simply hang mine up in a way that has a good lit area or I lay it down on the windowsill um, mm -hmm. when I'm using my mask. And then also if you're using a fabric mask, I just want to remind people, you can wash that. <laughs> I think that sometimes I think people get so uh, uh, grossed out by their masks, but I think they forget that they can simply wash it. Wash them. What if you let it sit for a few days? Because at first they were saying that the, the virus could live on steel surfaces yeah. <laughs> for three weeks. And I was like, ay, 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 we're just going to die. You know, and now they found out that's not true and, and it's actually a help. There was a Go lot ahead. of that discussion. We call it fomite theory. And a fomite is basically a way that a, a pathogen a virus, a bacteria, or a fungus can live on a surface. And we said, does fomite theory apply to the COVID-19 virus? In laboratory settings, everything is perfect. And that is meant to be to protect the validity of whatever research is going on. Mm -hmm. But those perfect laboratory settings are not real life. And so although we can see these things happening in lab settings, it doesn't apply to real life. And we just haven't seen a transmission from surfaces as a thing. It really is just a respiratory um, virus. And luckily, we, we, we know how to protect against that. I mean, would you so, need to rewash the fabric when every, you can tell I'm a freak. Uh, would you yeah. need to wash the fabric when every single time? For me, I do, I smell. So if my mask smells in a certain way, 
I'm, I'm very averse to that. So that is one note that I need to either replace this mask or wash this mask if it's a cloth mask. Um, I know that you like tips and tricks. You know those little Tupperware, <laughs> <laughs> there's like Tupperware that we find in our house, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't like to touch my face at all, really, because I'm so averse to it. And I, I'm an emergency doctor, so I'm constantly touching other people and touching blood and things like that. I take a Tupperware container and I pull the mask strings over that Tupperware container. And then I keep that Tupperware container sitting on a windowsill. And it's one ah, way that I do okay. that without touching my face and exposing myself to all types of nonsense. I do that at work and I do that at home. So we're out on our cell phones all yeah. the time. You know, I don't even take mine out anymore because I don't want to be tempted to answer it or text. You can tell I'm like a crazy nut. But, <laughs> but I just leave it at we home and then wash my hands. That. We all knew that, honey. I, 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 wash, I wash my hands and then I'll pick up the phone. I mean, uh -huh. surely are, are, are things like phones which you can't wipe down with alcohol and keys d credit cards cash how crazy do we get over this i mean obviously it's fatal so you want to be a little stringent so to be honest with you i don't have much fear over touching surfaces or my phone to be honest with you um i don't i find that the one biggest place that uh, I have a grievance with is when people use their gloves to touch their phone because then that's just, I think gloves as a surface can hold on to all different types of contaminants. And I think that if you're wearing a glove, you forget to wash your hands again. And I think when you touch your phone, you're just passing all those germs around. Yeah. Um, when I when I wash my um, when I clean my hands with alcohol, I sometimes honestly take my hands as they're actively covered with alcohol and rub that around my phone. It's like one of the things that I always do, and it's helpful for me to do that because in my mind I'm like, all right, let me just clean this surface before I bring it to my face. Mm -hmm. um, so that's well, one of the things I do, but I don't think you need to stop using your phone when you're um, when you're outside. Well, I wear gloves at work too, darling. <laughs> and, uh, and and I will uh, let me tell you from from coming home with some filthy ass uh, uh, white gloves. If we all put those on, <laughs> like those white cotton or white yeah. satin gloves, those have always come home soaked in foundation and lipstick and whatever. I think we would see how many germs we were we were really. It's true. With. I think if people just just knew that, then they would probably not use gloves as much. But. So Dr. Darian yeah. says opera length white gloves uh, <laughs> exactly. for everyone. Okay. Um, with, <laughs> with certain type of scenarios, Dr. Darian, I know, yeah. especially states like Florida and other states that are clubs and restaurants and stuff are open. Are there places, are, are, there, are there group gatherings that are safer than others? I, and, and I, I know that's hard to say, but yeah. just for those people who may be going to social events in states that are allowing them, are there some that are safer than others to do? So I think any gathering that is outside is safer than being inside, number one. Right. Now, obviously, like I'm in Los Angeles, it is a different scenario out here because people can come outside and, and, and live their life a lot easier than yeah. the East Coast right now, and yeah. especially in my home of New York. Um, so anything outside is safer than being inside. <laughs> one way I try to, <clears throat> when I'm teaching kids about this and I like join schools and teach them, I talk about like farting. I'm like, if you were to fart inside of a room, you know that other people <laughs> would know. But yeah. if you would fart outside, you know, most people wouldn't realize it. And it's the same idea, you know, it's gotcha. like yeah, the, yeah. the same level. Like if you're in a room and you think that you can fart 
and no one would smell it, then you're probably safe against COVID-19. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, that's let, great. Let me, get, let, me get, let me get my notes out. Uh, 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 try to fart outside. Okay, got it. <laughs> but yeah, so I think anything that is outdoors, I think if you're going to be indoors, then making sure you pick a room with good ventilation. Um, and it's really hard to figure that out. It's not like we go in the room and we find out the blueprints and we're like, okay, cool. Right. Um, but any room with open windows, good ventilation, limiting the amount of people in that room. And if you're inside of a room, that's the time when I put on my mask and I make sure that I'm not taking it off. Got it. Got it. Um, much like bunny and condoms. Uh, <laughs> but, bunny, I, I know that you are a very big proponent of safe sex. I'm just trying to look out for you. Okay, BB? Um, <laughs> with, going on to sex. Yeah. People are fucking having sex. Like it is what it is, and I, I know, I, I know for the for the the beginning of the pandemic, like March through like June, whatever, until they like okayed um, us to break the break uh, to to leave our <laughs> homes um, in New York City. I wasn't having sex, yeah. but now I am. And uh-huh. is sex very dangerous in the midst of this pandemic currently? That's a great question. So number one, uh, there's no zero risk situation. And mm-hmm. number two, it's been a year. So it would be crazy if I would expect people to sit and not have sex Hello. throughout this entire time. Yeah. Um, oh, really? I've I, I, not had sex for 35 years. <laughs> it's some, not that some, hard. Some I mean, literally, <laughs> not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I think that I think I have to be realistic whenever I'm giving out um, my recommendations and also focus on the idea that my job is to help mitigate risk and yeah. not just eliminate them. I don't I don't preach abstinence in any way, shape or form. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Um, I think if you're going to have sex, number one, picking a partner that obviously you trust and that you can discuss about all of the testing that you've done. That is sexual testing, but also for COVID-19 testing. Mm-hmm. There are certain interactions that we know increase risk of transmission of COVID-19, and that's heavy breathing together, that is kissing, and anything that involves oral stimulation. Now, I know that there's going to be a lot of people that ask, well, what about if we just don't communicate and wear a mask? In short, I think that that is one way to decrease your (laughs) risk. If you're able to... Gays already do that. No No communication. (laughs) That's why this is so easy to have conversations on platforms like this. Um, No. (laughs) So I think if you're going to interact, I know I looked at some of the recommendations from the CDC as these straight people try real hard to make recommendations. Um, (laughs) Glory holes. Yeah, they were discussing, well, maybe glory holes would be helpful. And I was like, that's interesting. I've never heard a straight person talk about that, but go on. Um, they're talking about these other methods of sex that don't, don't involve um, uh, mouth-to-mouth contact. I think if you're going to have sex, decreasing the amount of time that you're heavy breathing and actually you know, kissing is probably best, especially if you're having sex with someone who you don't know that well. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about subjects like rimming and like what risk that poses. Yeah. So we do know that COVID-19 can be found in fecal matter. One of the ways that they find... Um, COVID-19 in, for example, the possibility of a future pandemic is that they test sewage water in some countries. So they basically take random samples of sewage water. And if they find people shedding the virus of COVID-19 in sewage, then they predict that in the future, this might be a place where it it could be a future outbreak of COVID-19. And it's proved to be correct. So I do think that bathrooms, for example, and rimming and anything that involves anal can be increase your risk of getting COVID-19. Uh, how much does that translate to, to, to um, you know, having a poor outcome? We, we won't know, but the risk is there. So 
I think if you're going to have sex with someone, just understand uh, the two methods, the, the, the top hole and the bottom hole, both in, can transmit COVID-19. Um, and so being as safe as possible as you can be, as possible. Now, uh, if you can, limit your interaction between one other person. I try, I, my, the same rules with uh, meeting indoors is with sex. <laughs> if you're gonna have sex, try to not have too many people, have or sex fart. with too many people at one time. Um, <laughs> or fart, yeah. whatever you're into. So was that one person per day, hour? <laughs> it can, <laughs> try to keep your numbers as, uh, try to keep your numbers so that you remember who you had sex with so that if in fact someone is positive, you can let, help let them know to uh, quarantine and isolate appropriately. Um, yeah, that's perfect that for is. Bunny because Bunny's currently doing um, testing and tracing through her through her orifices. So. <laughs> no, no, darling, that's not correct. That's HIV testing in my asshole. Please don't get it twisted. That's not, so uh, that's not coronavirus. So I, this just begs the, 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 the thing about sex. And listen, I'm not at an age where sex is the first thing on my mind, but for decades I was. So I understand the needs, you know. But, I mean, just to think on the surface of it, and I'm not trying to shame anybody, just trying to educate people. Yeah. If we're supposed to be six feet apart mm-hmm. with masks on indoors, yeah. how are you ha- safely having sex with somebody who is close enough to have sex with you unless your dick is six feet long? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't mean yours. Yeah. I mean, I- any, anybody. I know that yours. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how would you, how, how I mean, if they're, if they're right up, you know, next to you. And I mean, you know, by the time you bust that nut, you are going to be doing some heavy breathing. And I mean, the whole notion of sex is, is abandoned, you Mm -hmm. know? So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how you could, I don't know how that jives with staying. I would love to have sex with somebody who can stay six feet away, you know, and, and wear a mask. I mean, it's not going to be good sex, but I I don't know. I don't know what to say. I think, I think when I'm answering this question, you're, everything you said is completely correct. But then again, I have to also be faced with the fact that people are human and sex yes. will naturally happen. Yeah. And so I think if you're deciding that you want to have sex with someone and you might be, you might have a lot of trepidation, I think taking levels of protection in order to prevent possible transmission. That might include you getting tested more often. People who, mm-hmm. if you're having active sex with people, maybe you should be getting tested more often. If you're really focusing on planning to get tested, maybe you and your partner that you, you plan to have, te- the, you the person you plan to have sex with can isolate yourself for a period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, every, none of this is zero, none of this will eliminate risk at all, mm-hmm. but it will help decrease it. And so increasing the amount of testing that, you, that you're doing, wearing a mask outside of obviously sexual encounters as much as you can. But to your point, Lady Bunny, when I look at the transmission rates, they really occur with these mass gatherings of indoor groups. And that is what we have to attack most. And that's what I focus on. It is a lot of the outbreaks that we've had have happened because people who they're close with, they have congregations, um, indoor gatherings, and we see outbreaks and how exponential the increase happens after that, which is why the numbers were so bad after the holidays. Can we talk about vaccines really quick? So, yeah. as we know, uh, we've all been hearing the vaccine rollout, and um, from since they've been they've been the beginning of them talking about it, they talk about this two dose system. But now they're saying that there there's a new one coming out by Johnson and Johnson that will be um, a one dose. What should we worry about between the two dose system and the one dose system? Are like yes, there are percentages percentage variables, but mm-hmm. should we be concerned if we get are allowed or if we are able to take one or the other? 
So the short answer is whatever vaccine is available to you, um, if you decide that you want to get a vaccine, get it. I, mm -hmm. I think because their vaccines are so scarce in numbers and uh, supply is going to be an issue beyond hesitancy, I think if you have a vaccine available to you that has been approved under EUA, get it. Now, uh, Monet, you referenced two different vaccines, which is the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. Mm -hmm. Both of those are the mRNA vaccine. Those vaccines require two doses, one to prime your immune system and then one to boost your immune system that occurs three to four weeks later. And then we have this new vaccine that might be decided to be given emergency use authorization at the end of this month, as the FDA is going to be meeting and discussing it. And that's the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Now, that vaccine has, been, has not shown as high amounts of efficacy as we saw in the Pfizer and the Moderna. Mm -hmm. And it might be Which a couple Which is like 95% effective, yeah. right? Yeah and, the, yeah, and we use efficacy. When we say efficacy, we say, oh, that is what we found in the study. And then effective is what we see in real life. And so I oh. think that... I think that the high efficacy rates that we saw in the study for uh, Pfizer and Moderna, we hopefully will see effective rates as high as that because as we've given it to millions of people right now. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a different type of vaccine. Um, it has not as high efficacy rates. It's only around 66% overall. However, it, presents, it prevents uh, hospitalizations and, and really severe COVID-19 85% of the time in the okay. study. And it prevents deaths 100% of the time. And personally, my whole thing personally is how do I prevent myself from becoming an, a patient in a hospital? Yeah. Because that is really, at the end of the day, what I'm trying to prevent myself and my family from. Mm -hmm. And that's a question you always ask all of your patients. No, I'm just kidding. So, I mean, the way I feel know. is like with as a couple of high group, risk group, you know, uh -huh. older, high blood pressure, fat, yes. you know, I, I'm like, oh, are y'all really going to make me wait months for a vaccine that's 66% less effective? <laughs> I, I know it would be a help, but people, please. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> I but think it's 100% out of the hospital, which I think is, again, yeah. a, a, a really good thing, right? It's huge. Sure. I think I think in it, not every community is going to be able to um, freeze the vaccine at the level that is required for Moderna and Pfizer. Got What's it. big about Johnson Johnson vaccine is that it can be refrigerated and stored for a lot longer period of time and a lot regular temperatures or more regular temperatures than the, COVID, than the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. So I think in communities where hospitals are not as close together and pharmacies mm. are rare, I think it's going to be really, really monumental. Um, but it does take a longer time to create. So I think what will happen is the patients who are living in um, industrial cities and, and metropolis uh, will probably have access to the Moderna and the Pfizer because they'll probably be closer to hospitals that can store it. Got it. Okay. okay. And, and so one thing I was interested about is that you get two shots uh -huh. um, of the Moderna and Pfizer, I believe one's 21 days and one's 29 days yep. apart. Now, I am hearing some stuff about that there can now be a longer gap between the shots is okay. And I just wonder, is the government, you know, yeah. <laughs> whether it's Trump or whether it's Biden, are they trying to just like say we got all these shots out there without having the backup, you know, the, the booster second shots on on hand? Because it, it, 
it just that just seems very odd to me to do the research yes. based on 21 or 29 days and come up with a 95 and then say oh well you know you don't need it and it might be as effective yeah it, what you're pointing at what you're pointing at is not the use the use of a medication outside of the recommendation and from the use of a medication without evidence-based findings and so what we know is that the efficacy results are reported by Pfizer and Moderna. Those were arbitrary points that they both chose when studying the vaccines to try to decide, okay, let's have people come back in three weeks. Okay, let's have people come back in four weeks. And that was based off of a lot of uh, hypo hypothetics, but also testing antibody levels and making assumptions of how long it would take um, to uh, basically wait between priming and boosting someone's immune system. Now, if someone were to come in a week later uh, for their second dose and they were a little late, would that decrease efficacy? There's no reason to believe that technically wouldn't. Um, however, it's not something that we know, just like you pointed out, Lady Bunny, it's not, it's, it wasn't studied. So there's no way to give a clinical um, recommendation on something that we don't know. And that's the important part about science is that we can focus on the facts and we can't base our assumptions on hope. So my recommendation is if you, can, if you get the vaccine, and I agree, luckily most of the people who have gotten the vaccines there have been enough held back in order to give those patients who got their first dose or second dose in the appropriate amount of time. I think some people will inevitably be late, but I don't, I don't see it affecting efficacy that much, but I'm trying to stick as close as possible to what we know, uh, make sure we work on evidence and not hope. I just got, uh, actually, this was interesting, and it kind of links to this. So a month, a few months ago, I got a shingles vaccine. Young folks, that's something that you do when you're <laughs> over 50. And so um, I went back just the other day um, for the, the second shot. And a day or so later, I was sick. Yeah. It ended within 36 hours. But... You know, I, sometimes they say when you even get a flu shot, you will feel soreness in the arm. You will feel, um, you know, maybe tired because you're injecting a little piece of the flu so that you can develop a, a, your body's ability to fight it. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's and that's a, a first off the shingles vaccine. A lot of people can be symptomatic from it. I think the rates of the symptoms for people who have had shingles vaccine is higher than probably the average vaccine. And what I wanna help everyone understand is that reaction that you had, Lady Bunny, and the reactions that 20% of the people have gotten in the study when they looked at 70,000 people who they studied for um, the COVID-19 vaccine in the Moderna and the Pfizer trials, that reaction is that immune response. That's your immune system waking up and initially going, what the hell is that? When you, okay. when you inject that first dose and your, your antibodies, your T cells and your inflammatory side, they're all waking up and they're going, what the hell is that? Let's make an antibody and sit back and just see if we see that shit again. That's exactly yeah. what your immune system is saying. That second mm -hmm. dose, your body goes, wait a minute, we saw that before, let's kill that. And that's right. when some patients can get that immune response in their second dose a little bit more than the first dose. Again, these responses that we've had, and, and I, as an ER doctor, have been treating people who come in concerned that they might have effects or side effects of the vaccine. And luckily, personally, in my anecdotal experience, I haven't seen any negative outcomes. And overall, we have not seen any hospitalizations or deaths associated to the millions of people who have gotten this vaccine across the United States, um, which is a great, great thing. But a lot of the symptoms that you do develop, that is a good thing. Um, the okay. feeling of your achiness, the feeling of your body, that is your immune system basically working and building a defense so that if you come into contact with the real COVID-19, 
your body is going to stop it before you even realize. I think you should, I think if someone is introducing something to you that you're going to put in your body, you should ask questions. <laughs> that, I, if a patient just blindly accepts something, I'm gonna be sitting there like, wait, you need, don't you have a question? Don't you have a concern? And I think right. as physicians, we have to be able to answer them. Whether it's well, a vaccine or a penis. Now, exactly. I do. Exactly. I do um, about herd immunity. Herd immunity. Now, we've all uh -huh. heard this concept of herd immunity that um, that that we all need to uh, uh, get it so that the so get the vaccine or the virus, whatever, so that the pandemic can come to a close. What is the percentage of what percentage of us need to be vaccinated for herd immunity to kick in? And how realistic so what, is it? What is herd immunity? So herd immunity is essentially when, uh, if you think about human humans as a herd of, of cattle, for example, mm -hmm. and you're trying to stipe an infection, herd immunity means that there is enough people inside the group that you're looking at that have an immunity against the pathogen that can be a virus or a bacteria, enough so when that pathogen is introduced into that herd, it doesn't spread around quickly. The problem with COVID-19 is that it spread so quickly before most of us even realize that when we start testing, then we're realizing we're, we're fighting a, an epidemic and a pandemic. And so a herd immunity is basically producing enough immunity in the community so that it doesn't pass from person to person as easily. Now, herd immunity can be um, done via two ways. It can be done the natural way, which is via infections from person to person, mm -hmm. or it can be done via a vaccine. There's really been nothing in history that has shown that herd immunities naturally works. Because if you can imagine, if we're trying to get a herd immunity, as meaning as many as 70% of the population to have an immunity to COVID-19, then giving that many people real live COVID-19 would, would lead to death rates higher than anything we've ever seen before. So it's just not possible to basically wait for everyone to become infected with COVID-19. So the goal with, uh, and then this number has been kicked around a lot between scientists and statisticians. Some people report as low as 60% needed and we're starting to see higher 70, 80% need to have immunity. So that would mean that we would need to give that many people the vaccine in order to produce an immunity. And what people ask me, how do I keep hope? How do I stay positive? Because we've seen uh, outbreaks and pandemics and, and, and some epidemics before. You know, we've gotten through so many. I just recently talked about smallpox, and I know that we have a really bad history with smallpox when we look at how it was tested on people of color, uh, most importantly, in order to be utilized to benefit white people often. Um, but it's important to talk about it because we've gotten through so many of these vaccines that we take for granted, or these, um, these outbreaks that we take for granted from the basic vaccines that we're vaccinated for as children. And we don't even realize how they're protecting us every single day. How do we get people to trust the vaccine yeah. more or, or, or to the extent that 60 to 80 percent are vaccinated? There are legitimate areas of distrust among people of color and, yeah. and, and for, for very good reasons. How is that overcome? I think it I think, number one. This is one of my methods, having conversations with people outside of the four walls of my office about real life questions and concerns about the virus as well as the vaccine. I think as physicians, we need to be more available to the community to be able to answer questions. I think also it's kind of a grassroots approach, to be honest with you. Addressing someone's concern is important and then following that concern up with education is what I do. And so whenever I'm helping someone decide on how they want to feel about the vaccine, I use the three-pronged approach, which is, what is your question? Some people have a specific fear 
you know, either A, I had an allergy before and I heard that there can be some uh, allergic reactions to this that might cause me to have danger. And some people else can say, I heard that this might be associated with problems with pregnancy, which it hasn't because there hasn't been any proof of that at all. But there's been a lot of misinformation out there. And so I think that's what requires that grassroots effort to address those questions clearly and be blunt about them and also being honest about what we do and don't know. Um, I think uh, continuing to stand on that platform and do do that every single day is one way that I think we all as healthcare providers can address these important concerns of the community. And then also addressing the real concern of the history of vaccines. You pointed out a lot of examples and as a black person, as a queer person, as a physician, I feel like I'm operating in these dichotomies, um, trying to make sure that I understand how I feel and address my own concerns but also realizing that the majority of physicians, for example, are white, uh, realizing that they're mostly cisgendered men who have not lived a life that I've lived. And so how could they possibly even begin to address a concern uh, from a patient of a life who lives a life that they honestly have no idea about? Right. And that's where uh, collaboration is incredibly important, uh, involving community leaders, whether that be talking to church members, whether that be entering into barbershops, whether that be going into community spaces and really sitting down with people and having a conversation. I really think that that's honestly what we're going to need in order to get through this pandemic. And when I do these things, I yes, I am concerned about everyone, but I know that this virus kills people of color two to three times as much as uh, white patients. And for me, it is not mm. just a professional goal of making sure that I protect my people, but it's also a personal one uh, because I, I, I and, and I think, and I, and I hear the concern, but what I'm trying to help people understand is that we have done tremendous amount of studies and research on this vaccine. And if you took two groups of people, if you took 40,000 people and gave them COVID-19 and you took 40,000 people and gave them this vaccine, you're going to have a lot of death in that 40,000 people who had COVID-19. And so w we need to do the things that we need to do in order to protect people. And that and that is getting a vaccine. And I will I will sit and talk about it until I die. <laughs> because honestly, <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't die. No, because, no. because if, we, if we don't continue these conversations and this um, this misinformation beats me at it, then it's going to make my life and my job and my family and the people that I love a lot, a lot more difficult. Well, what is the reason that COVID is disproportionately affecting people of color? Yeah. So I think that we have to start when you address that question. Uh, health disparities have existed before COVID-19 has started. And I think COVID-19 has not only exa exaggerated a lot of these disparities, but it kind of just uncovered it, to be quite honest with you. As a person operating in healthcare system, but also being black, I understand how bias affects people of color. If we look at the social and structural determinants of health, um, the lack of access to care, the yeah. lack of, of, of trust within a system, you know, the lack, uh, we, I can talk about studies on, until, I, until I pass out, but even if you look at how black patients are treated in the emergency room for pain and how disproportionately they're often giving left doses, less doses of pain medications comparative to white patients. Wow, I didn't know uh, that. There's, there's a, yeah, there's, and this has been studied and, and it has been something that is kind of hits us in the face over and over again. But I think health care really finds it uncomfortable to talk about race. And I think when it comes down to it, that's the main issue. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot of people in healthcare having a difficult time communicating race to patients and the risk that, um, that, that revolves around it to patients. And I think that that is what it comes down to, a level of communication, but also the fact that um, healthcare is not just within a hospital, it's 
everything is associated with it. If a patient can't afford care, if they can't get to the care, if they can't follow up, it really doesn't mean much unless you attack it from all different areas. <laughs> I, obviously, with like with with ambulance wait times going up to like eight hours in in, in some places, yeah. hospitals being at max capacity. Um, what is what is something that you can say to scare people a little bit? into what the realities <laughs> of COVID-19 are. Yeah. Seriously, because oftentimes we see that that's what works. People are like, oh shit, it really is like that. Maybe I shouldn't go to see the um, where the money reside guy at a packed <laughs> fucking bar in Alabama, which videos I'm seeing of that on social media. Yeah, I, I want to remind everyone that your, your risk of mortality or death from COVID-19 is not zero. I think a lot of people like to use a risk number and mm -hmm. say, oh, it's killed less than 1% of people, so therefore I'm okay. 1% mm. of, the, of, the, of the population of the United States is 3.3 million people. So, so first of all, that's not a small number. Secondly, the risk of you having chronic long-term symptoms of COVID-19 are very real. We see mm -hmm. one in three people, as high as one in three people with COVID-19 develop progressive long-term symptoms. And then thirdly, I have intubated and I have unfortunately coded someone in their 30s, in their 40s, and I've talked to those families. And so for me, it is very real, this, this virus, and I'm reminded of it every single day. And although many of us will get tired, the virus doesn't. And yeah. so if yeah. I could help people realize the risk, this virus is sitting and waiting. It loves social gatherings. It wants to transfer from person to person. And it does that very quickly and well when people don't have symptoms and before they even develop symptoms. So what, what I try to, what I, what I would leave people with is that this risk is real. Um, even if it may not affect you, it's a time to, to take a second and realize the effect that you have on others mm -hmm. and to realize that although you may be symptom asymptomatic or not really or have a mild course of COVID-19, you probably have spread that to other families and, and been associated with the loss of someone important in someone's life. And for me, that is what I remind myself every single day when I put on my mask. It's how can I prevent this virus from hurting someone else? And I think that's what we need to reframe our thinking, of, uh, thinking around. Do young people, we have a lot of young listeners, uh -huh. do, are, are they invincible or, or definitely not, I would imagine? Absolutely not. So we are seeing now uh, increasing rates of younger people becoming hospitalized with COVID-19. Now, I think that this is due to a couple of things. Number one, I think social behavior drives transmission. So younger people are more likely to be um, uh, tired of COVID-19 rules. We're mm -hmm. more able, we're more probable to communicate with others in close gatherings and spread the virus. And older patients who have high-risk uh, pr uh, primary health care conditions are more likely to secure themselves and to not go around and go outside. And so we're seeing kind of a transition. Um, we're seeing the patients who are dying of COVID-19. We're seeing the number that don't have any primary health care issues at all is increasing. Mm -hmm. And so that's really mm -hmm. concerning because that, show, that just shows that it's, a lot of it is tied to our behavior and the way that we um, move around this world. So young people are not immune. And yes, I have been a part of codes and I have even coded and talking uh, over this year, unfortunately, have had to have really difficult conversations with families about wow. their loved one who they could not have ever imagined have had a problem with COVID-19 that would result in their death. It is not something that would be new to me. Do you think that healthcare and essential workers would rather have us clap and cheer for them or get raises? <laughs> I, I personally, 
for me, for me, uh, I uh, personally, my way that people clap for me is when they put on a mask when they're outside. I feel right. like oh, that man. is how people are showing support to me, and it is like seeing it's like seeing a pride flag. I feel really hopeful when I see people wearing a mask, and even when when kids stop. I saw yesterday a kid wanted to pet a dog that didn't belong to him, and he stopped and he put on his mask before and then walked up to the dog and it was just a cute sad Aww, moment because i right. realized that this child was trying to protect and understood what was going on and oh, i just so for cute. me those moments really stick with me dr darian thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about all of this stuff regarding COVID 19 and thank you thank you so much and again that is at dr period darian d-a-r-i-e-n on instagram and we're now let's clap and cheer and say give <laughs> Dr. Darian a raise. This is like at 7 p.m. in New York City and everyone's clapping everywhere. So does anyone remember Stormy Daniels, the porn star who was linked to Donald Trump a couple of years ago? I do. Do you remember seeing on the news this guy representing her, the lawyer named Michael Avenatti? And he was fucking hot. Yes, he was. Um, And so he was on every news every night talking about how he was going to bring Trump down with this affair and the lawsuit or whatever. Well, you know what? He kind of ripped Stormy off. And this is after people were saying, oh, he should be president. He ripped Stormy off and is now awaiting sentencing uh, for defrauding or extorting Nike, one of his clients. So (laughs) in that vein, I would like to bring everyone's mind to Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo, the governor of New York, Mm -hmm. who was like the major resistance hero of the COVID announcements. And I get it. Trump was mishandling the pandemic, downplaying it, not wearing a mask, etc. So it was good to see a voice that was different in times of, you know, we're all going crazy, what is going on in the world. Um, He wrote a book on how to handle the pandemic. He was even given an Emmy for his voice on TV, a special Emmy. Trevor Noah announced that he was a Cuomo sexual. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, the, I I wish, uh, I mean, that made me wish I was Cuomo. Marie Claire, the women's magazine wrote, published an article. My boyfriend, Andrew Cuomo's new girlfriend is America. Here is a snippet. Trapped in my apartment, nowhere else to focus my hormones. The governor is the only man speaking directly to me for miles around. Uh, People were saying he's so hot, he should be president, just like they said uh, Michael Avenatti should be president. Well, you know what? Cuomo cut $2.5 billion from New York State's Medicaid, which is insurance for uh, poor people. We were just talking about people of color and their access to health care being a reason that they are, you know, having an adverse effect, uh, effect to COVID. And, he, and Cuomo did it to spite progressives and to keep the wealthiest from paying taxes. There's a lot of wealthy New Yorkers. Cuomo, before this pandemic, was known as corrupt 
and an ace, uh, asshole. He was just uh, caught by New York Attorney General Letitia James for underreporting the deaths in nursing homes from COVID by half. Now, I know him as the guy who New York City dwellers feared until recently every couple of years because he would make deals with the conservative Republicans and, and conservative Democrats in Albany, the state capital of New York, about the rent laws. And he would often be siding with the landlords and trying to do away or modify rent stabilization, which is the only way that I can... Uh, afford to live in new york do you have stabilized rent Monet? uh i don't know what i have my my rent only went went up by 12 dollars last cycle so i guess i do you probably do because if you don't have those protections um there's rent stabilization and then there's rent controlled rent control is strong oh, rent control is the t I, I know i don't have that Yes, you can just go, uh, the, the landlord could just raise your rent any amount they want. Bianca complained about that when she lived here. She didn't have rent control, and she would have to move every couple of years because the landlords will extort you. Mm-hmm. So here is this person who just got caught lying about the nursing home deaths, undercutting them by half, and we're giving him an Emmy. I mean, he cut Medicaid by $2.5 billion. And I've just got to tell you that when we are in the, the hysteria of the coronavirus blossoming, you know, you know, don't believe everything that you are sold. Because there are cynical actors who will take hysteria and run with it to create someone who is not Trump. But that doesn't make him a hero of the coronavirus by any means. And you will remember that they harnessed the fear after 9-11 to sell Giuliani, who is now one of Trump's henchmen, as America's mayor. So, you know, we listen, when someone is selling someone as something, you can Google, you can look and learn, because sometimes that is not exactly who they are. And I would never give him an Emmy, and I would never want to read his book on how he handled the pandemic. That is absolutely nuts. We got to, you know, we got to question more and think more because people will use uh, hysteria. I think it's called the shock an awe doctrine where you use these things where people are terrified to push notions that aren't true. Like Cuomo is a winner or should be president or is so hot and sexy. You know, he's not Trump. (laughs) That's that's, you can say that that doesn't mean he's an all around winner or even a good guy. Noted. And that is today's soapbox. All right, Bunny, that was a lot of information. I'm so happy that we had Dr. Darian. I am, too. He was great. I mean, I think people listening to this interview can tell that I am a nut, and my mother is a nurse, and I'm a mama's uh, uh, girl, boy, whatever. (laughs) Uh, I I came out of her pussy, okay? Uh, I'm a mama's them. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, Dr. Darian was great. And now we, Bunny and I had the pleasure of looking at him as well. And Bunny, is he not one of the most handsome, beautiful, 
people in the world? Probably, but I was looking at you. <laughs> but for anyone who wants to find out, they can check him out on Instagram Please at Doctor Dot Darian D A R I E. And trust me, it's worth it. And when you do, can you please um, tag me and Bunny on Twitter or send us DMs on Instagram and be like, girl, so that we know that you looked it up. Because trust me, you want to do it, honey. Thank you so much for another episode, Bunny. This is, this is always so much fun. I look forward to this part of the week every time. What, the end? You look forward to the end of the podcast? Yes, Fuck you, I'm- bitch. <laughs> I'll see How you dare you? you? Do you know I've not got long to live? I've given you all this time. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.